What's going on, everyone? You are tuned into the Founder Hour podcast. I'm your co-host, Pat. I'm Posh. And uh, we have the pleasure of sitting down with Mickey Agrawal right now. Mickey, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. So so happy to be here with you guys. In person, yeah. not on In Zoom. person. I know. We don't do these often, and they're just so great when we do. So I know. Hopefully that changes. I mean, are we post-pandemic yet? I mean, officially, what's, what's what, the... What uh, does that even mean? Literally, yeah, you know? literally, this one, like, I got an email, and it's like, one kid in your, like, a kid in your kid's classroom has COVID. We're like, oh, shit. Yeah. And now no one gives a shit anymore. Does that mean yeah. we're not post-pandemic? I know, I but no one. No, no, but the thing is, nobody yeah. cares anymore. Right. Like, it's imagine they did that with like a cold. Like you never have. School. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, like, let these kids just get immune to these things. Exactly. Yeah. These are we just we try to do these in prison as much as we can, yeah. and so I, it worked out. You're in LA for a bit. Yeah. Um, so tr- you're visiting LA for yeah. it was like a week or something, a few just days. A couple days. Yeah. Couple days. Three days. Yeah. So glad we could make it happen. Same. Um, but what we like to always do, you know, we, we just like like to take it back to the early days of whoever we have on the show and just kind of learn about their background and their story and what they were like as a kid. So I guess as far back as you can remember, you know, what was young Mickey like? What was she into? I want to start there. Well, just like you guys, you guys are a first generation Armenian, right? Yeah. yeah. Both first parents. generation American. American. Armenian. Armenian. First generation Ar- 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 as yeah. in your parents are yep. Armenian. Both yes. Armenian. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, my dad is from India, like from India, like, you know, yeah. and my mom <laughs> is like from Japan, like, yeah. hello, please How did they meet? You. They met in graduate school in Ottawa in Canada. And my mom was doing like a one year abroad program from Japan. I was supposed to go back to Japan after one year. And my dad was doing a two year abroad program in Canada and was supposed to go back to India after two years. But they met in Ottawa, like at the same graduate program, and just in the same school. My mom was my mom was doing international relations. My dad was doing um, um, uh, like aer- aeronautical engineering, uh-huh. and they just met, fell in love, and within seven months were married. And within a year, they had like three kids. Wow! Because <laughs> my older sister is less than a year older than us. So and, you guys are like what, Irish and twins. We're Irish triplets. Irish triplets. Because I'm an identical twin. Wow. And my third sister is 11 months older than How us. How many of those are there, like in the world? Irish triplets. I don't know. That's a great. You question. should have like a community of like Irish triplets. That well, like... we were part of the twin club in Montreal growing up, and it was okay. like 200 sets of twins. And what is that? Like, what do you guys do in the club? <laughs> you would do like apple bobbing competitions, and you would do like 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 a three legged race and shit like that. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, just like all the kids. Yeah. But they let my older sister in because she was she was an Irish triplet. Right, and that was like the one of the first. She's older or younger? Less than a year older. Older, got it. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. So, so I mean, what was life like growing up, like in Canada? Yeah, I mean, I think like where where I got lucky was that because I grew up in Montreal, French Canada, to a Japanese mother and to an Indian father, I grew up with just a shit ton of different perspectives Mm. all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I got the Canadian, I got the French Canadian, I English, you know, the English and French. I got the Indian Japanese perspective for everything. Yeah. And what so th- were those perspectives? Can you break it down? Just like, for example, like you know, anything political. Like, what does what do each culture dis- think about for for all you know, uh, like for a specific topic? Or when it comes to raising kids and families, everyone has different perspectives on how to do that. Right? The Indians have very different from Japanese, are very different from Canadian mentality, and so it was just really. Really um, cool to to have that like permission yeah. to be able to really like talk about anything and just say like and 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 argue for or against things. There was no one way of doing something or one way of thinking about something. It was an argument all the time, and so we were allowed to argue. Mm. And I think when it came to you know fast forward to becoming an entrepreneur, it just sort of like being able to argue a problem. 
you know, came in handy. Are you talking about at home or like even in school and just like just in, just just I mean, you know. arguing not like in a negative way. Yeah, just no, like, for sure. You know, but like yeah. having healthy like healthy debate. debate. Healthy yeah. debate. Yeah, always at home around the around the dinner table. We always had healthy debate about all the different topics. Did that cause any issues in school when you were a kid for you, like for yourself? Well, because sometimes like the school system is not designed for that. Totally, and it's <laughs> a great question because no one's ever asked me that actually in the history. Um, um, but I, my sister and my twin sister and I were always troublemakers. And because we were always questioning and questioning the teachers and just kind of being rambunctious, you know, kids. And so the school put us on the, what they call the red book, mm. which it was like, Sick. it was kind of like in the, in school terms, it was like shameful because we basically had to have like every single teacher sign this red book. Mickey and Rada did not chew gum in class, not shout answers, did not argue with the teacher, did not eat an apple, did not take their shoes off, did not untuck their shirt, whatever it was. That like, sounds so demoralizing. It was like, like kind of like, but it was also kind of rebellious. It was yeah, like, it was like cool. Both. Like you wanted to make the Red Book. Like. <laughs> well, I mean, at the time it didn't Is your next anything. book going to be called the Red Book? That's a good concept. Yeah. <laughs> and it could just be like about just like rebellion. Just society, rebellion, yeah. You know, and how it leads to. The Red Book of Society. Yeah, yeah. Totally. It's like, what does the dark Red Book say? Yeah, yeah. You just, know? it's just a red it's like there's no time there's it's no just t- red that's good because <laughs> like that's red. what it was it was this it's red, just a red book it was yeah. just a red book and yeah. you had to go it's in crazy. and just Shit to check off all the yeah. shit. Were there other students that were like scared shitless of the red book? Like they just Yeah, it was just like a thing of we were just like, you don't want the red book. <clears throat> yeah. You know? And and Rod and I used to play like Queen of the Mountain. We would push kids off the mountain and we'd just kind of be like really, you know, like just rebellious kids. And I think entrepreneurs are rebellious by nature. It's like fuck the system, you know? Yeah. It's like this doesn't feel like why am I sitting here in in a row of desks, standardized tests when that was created for people who are literally created for like the 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 you know the industrial revolution where you're supposed to be a cog in a machine. It's like that's yeah. not how. But did you like? Learn. Were you aware of that early on? Like, it, did did you know that that was kind of the case, or were you just like I'm for some reason not interested in you know, going down this academic kind of being, being like a super academic kid or were you like, were you? Well, we, 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 we had to because we're Indian, Japanese, immigrants, you know, kids. It was like, you know, if you didn't, you're thrown out of the house basically. So no, we basically, yeah, we, 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 I, we, we never, we were always rebelling against the system, but we always forced ourselves to excel in it. Yeah. And so it was kind of like, it was like the whole thing. It was all of it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you guys grow up in a relatively wealthy household or just kind of middle class? Or? We were very middle class. Yeah. yeah. But but somehow, like, you know, our dad on one engineer salary, mom was stay-at-home mom, Japanese. They, you know, my mom raised the three of us at yeah. home, no help, you know. And um, yeah, it was like, it was a pretty traditional. My mom was like the head of our Japanese school. My dad was the head of the Hindi school. My mom started to get to children's summer camp. Like, mm. you know, my dad, you know, like my dad was our head soccer coach. My mom was the assistant coach. Like, you know, like classic, you know. Um, it's like very involved, yeah. Very involved. Like music teacher, they drive us around all weekend long. Like just really committed parents. Did you enjoy being a twin? Great question. I, I um, always loved it. I always loved I always loved being a twin because we always ha- imagine like going to a school or a class for the first time like you know you go with your lunch lunch like tray and you're like go walk in yeah. the cafeteria and you don't know anybody and you're like who's going to like me I always had a buddy yeah and I think you know my sister and I are both petite in stature we're both preemie babies so we're both pretty petite 
And, you know, and we just never got bullied because we're both athletes and we were also always together. Mm. So we were just two little twins. Like if I, if I got, if I got to take one, I got to take, you got to take them both. And like, you don't want two little Tasmanian devils, you know? And (laughs) so, yeah. So we, 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 we were best of friends and also like the worst of enemies in that, like we knew each other's buttons, like, like brothers and sisters do. Were you like very competitive with each other? Very competitive with each other and just like. But I think it, it became healthy competition over time because luckily we were all on sports teams together. We all play in the same team for the most right. part. We did end up sometimes against each other playing badminton in, cha- in championship finals and it would always be like yeah. the worst to play against each other. I would lose against her every time mm-hmm. until the very <laughs> last time we ever played and I won. And so I'm like still the reigning champion between us in badminton. <laughs> but she won every time. But you guys would like generally bring the best out of each other through generally, healthy Generally like, out, like within the comp- competitive realm we would bring out the best in each other and also i think we learned a lot of deep resilience that we can punch each other in the gut like with like pretty cutting words to each other and then and then within like a minute it's like what's for dinner you know and so i think again i can translate that to entrepreneurship like when you get punched in the face all the time and and it's like everyone's slamming their doors in you and saying not investing or not this or not that i think you know it just built the resilience to bounce back pretty quickly how how long were you guys in uh, canada um 18 years so, oh, so like most until like you were an adult. Until I went to college, we Rod and I both went to Cornell. My sister and I both were recruited for soccer mm. um, at at Cornell, and we were both. Uh, my parents would not leave us, let us leave Canada. Immigrant hashtag immigrant parent. They were like, you cannot leave unless you go to an Ivy League school. You know, <laughs> yeah. otherwise you're going to McGill, which is like fifteen hundred dollars yep. per year. You know what I mean? And but it's like, also a good school, no? It's the Harvard of Canada. You yeah, know, and yeah. it's fifteen for anyone in in within Montreal. It's fifteen hundred dollars per year to go. That's it's like free. It's basically free versus paying thirty two thousand dollars per year. Seriously. You know, which by back then was for three kids. My on one yeah, engineer salary, like yeah. could barely. <laughs> yeah, your ass like, is going to McGill. <laughs> yeah. I know exactly. It's like yeah. and the fact that he let us like we were recruited for soccer. We got financial aid and all of that. And you know, my older sister went to Harvard, and so we were. Well, we Cornell's stopped. an Ivy too, right? Cornell's and Ivy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. you got into the Ivy, which is good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. they do say that. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was. It, it, it's, it is an Ivy, and and um, it, I think watching my sister go to go to school in the states like took the death grip of immigrant parents like away. She kind of paved the way. She, for you. she was kind of like, whoa, that looks like a lot of fun. Because if we went to yeah. McGill, we'd have to stay home. Yeah. And we're like, fuck that, you right. know. So we we were like, we're going to we're gonna. So we were recruited for to to a lot of the IVs, but we went to Cornell because it was. Harvard's in a in a, like a big city like Boston, mm-hmm. so we didn't want to go to a school in a city. Mm-hmm. We wanted to go to like a bumble f nowhere yep. town, so that we can really build school spirit. Like, what's mm-hmm. the American school spirit look like? Like, like that's want, all you know is like the school and like that's all you know yeah. is a school yeah. and that's it. You yeah. know, and so you had to just be in the school, like drink the Kool Aid of the it's school, like Alabama. Like, yeah. yeah, like exactly. Like there's you go to literally like, nothing even if there. our football yeah, team sucks, you know, like it doesn't matter. Like you <laughs> right. know, it just like you still went to the games, you still yeah. hung out, did the school. So I imagine thing. you and your sister were like pretty, pretty good at soccer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we were. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, we were both. We both started as freshmen, and you know all that. And so we we we, we started all four years. Was that ever like a goal for you to like eventually try to be a pro soccer? Yeah, player? I, so I did. So after oh. after yeah. So well, you know, sorry for assuming that you did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, it was it was certainly a yeah. So so I mean, after I graduated from Cornell, I I got a job in investment banking, mm-hmm. and I was truly the worst investment banker on the planet. Like we were just. Did you study business? No, Cornell? I was a communications major, and every oh. single year, you know, they bring in like a couple of people who right. are non finance majors to do like 
you know, like to, to, to round out the, you know, the investment banking analyst program. Yep. And so both my sister and I both got jobs as analyst investment banking. Same place. I got, she, she got a job at CIBC world markets and I got a job at Deutsche Bank, Deutsche Bank. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and then, but, but I started my job September 1st, 2001. Oh, wow. good timing. And yeah. my subway stop every morning was two World Trade Center. Oh my goodness. And the two months prior we went we we basically tra- you know trained um we did the training program which I was like truly the worst student. I mean the training program but then but then when we started our jobs on September um 1st um around that week 2001, you know 10 days later 9/11 happened and um, 700 people in my girlfriend's office died because I would my subway stop every morning was Two World Trade Center. My girlfriend and I would get tea yeah. on the second, you know, right in the lobby of Two World Trade, and she would go up to the hundredth floor, and then I would walk ac- across the street to Crazy. my my Crazy. office, and 700 people in her office died on that day, and two people in my office died on that day, and it was like one of those your office you said was close by directly too. across the street. Oh, directly across. Trade. So it's like so when when it came down, all that shrapnel fell on my building. And where were you at the? Uh, it was the uh, only day in my life I slept through my alarm clock. To this day. The one wow. single only day. I'm the lightest sleeper ever. And it was the one single only day in my life that I slept. That's in my like an clock. act of God. It was, act it of truly just was. It was divine. Crazy. And so yeah. that's when I decided, I'm like, fuck this. Like, I, like, like the mystery of life is you never know when it's going to end. Like yep. It can end right now. Like this ceiling could fall and mm-hmm. hit us and we mm-hmm. can all be dead, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, uh, the, the time is absolutely now to make every moment count. And so I was like, what do I want to do with my life? Well, the first... This was literally like 10 days after you started your first job yes. out of college. You're ready, you're ready 22 like... 22 years old. Time to reconsider. <laughs> already. Because <laughs> I was like, this is bad. I'm terrible at this yeah. job. Like, what yeah. am I doing? No, because I did two months already of like the training oh, program. That's right, that's right, that's right. And it was like a straight up hazing and like all the finance kids were just like making fun of like the non-finance people. And we, we got just hazed, you know? Mm. Like I got hazed for sure because I didn't know what I was... I didn't like put a spreadsheet together. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yep. you know, they're all Excel nerds and I was just like, oh my God. You know, so... Um, yeah, so, so, um, so I wrote down three things I wanted to do with my life. The first was to play soccer professionally. The second was to make movies and the third was to start a business. And so I tried out for the New York Magic soccer team and it was a whole story around how I snuck out of my investment banking job and befriended the doorman and the car service guy who took me there from the bank. Mm-hmm. And then I would, you know, try out and they would drive me back to the bank so I can finish my job at 10 o'clock till 10 o'clock at night or whatever. And um, so you thought I'll keep my job for now, make make just, money, yeah. yeah, like not like just go cold, not yeah, like yeah, yeah. And then yeah. in the meantime, I'll try to maybe play soccer, yeah, just try out and things. see what happens. Yeah. And if I made the team, then I would potentially quit my job and then see what happens. So cut to two and a half months later, tryouts. They would cut a, a person, a cut, you know, like there's a hundred women from all D1 like athletes, mm-hmm. you know, all D1 schools that all were trying out. And I was like stretching in the car on the way there. It was like a crazy, you know, time. And um, yeah, every single week they would they would cut, 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 and 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 you'd have your name on the list. And my name kept appearing on the list of like. So then by the, the final t- final day of the tryout, the 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 head coach Nino calls the uh, the starting lineup, and 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 somehow I make the starting lineup of the team of the New York Magic. Crazy. And I was like, holy shit! I was like, yeah. by far the tiniest person on the team. What like, position did you play? Right midfield. Yeah. yeah. And um and so I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna quit my job. This is amazing. But I was like, wait, let me just play my first game of the season before I quit, just to see like, you know. And your did your like boss or team or colleagues anyone know that you're doing this? 
my managing director at the investment bank knew, knew and yeah. he was the one that ran our department and he yeah. played soccer in college. Oh, sweet. So I approached him during the tryouts and I was like, please don't tell anybody else, but I'm trying out for the New York Magic. Like, I was like, I think, you know, what I said was, I talked about this in my book, Do Cool Shit. You know, it's like you want the person to be part of your dream. Mm. And so like you all, whenever you start a business or anything, like you want to engage the person to, to en- enroll them into your dream. So I, I went to Bill. When you say you're the person, you mean like So like anyone who, who you're trying to like, you know, either it's like raising money from or you're right. trying to, you know, have you have them come in and help advise you for your company or whatever. You know, like with Bill, like I said to him, I was like, he was a managing director at, at, at Deutsche Bank and I was like, I have a dream of being a soccer player. I know you played soccer in college. Imagine you had the opportunity to go try out for the New York, you know, like like the sports pro team. Like I would love your blessing to try yeah. out for this. And I will come back every time I went to go to try out and finish my job. Like I promise. Mm-hmm. But this is my dream. Will you help me achieve my dream? Mm-hmm. And he was like, let's do it. You nice. know? And so, so he... Um, so he let me sneak out every twice a week to go try out. Sorry, that's a demanding job, right? Investment bank. Hundred hours like, a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, you were you were getting in your hundred hours while you're yes. Doing while what do they out. do? I mean, I, honestly, like, what the fuck do you? Most of the time, do? you're sitting there, like, just like basically, like, twiddling your thumbs until they the managing directors leave, like, a bunch of shit you have to do at six o'clock at night, and you have all night to do it because it's due the next morning. So basically, you're just like, it's just like, it's just FaceTime. Yeah. Like it's just showing how hardcore you are. And I remember like all the other analysts, like they'd be like, I pulled three all nighters this week. How many all nighters did you pull? And I was like, God, that's so, like, yeah, I slept under my desk and my toothbrush is in the cupboard. And I'm like, Proud of that? <laughs> I'm like, You're proud of that? Like, what? You know, yeah. it's like, but anyways, yeah. So, so, um, so, so I played the first game of the season, like the, you know, like starting right midfield, whistle blue, you know, like, Got, got the ball, dribbled past two players, crossed the ball, striker hits in back of the net within the first eight minutes, had my first assist in my, in like, you know, for the for the Magic in the WSA League. But within that, within the moment I crossed the ball, a defender came and tackled me, slide tackled me, and I heard the telltale snap, and I tore my ACL. No way, your first, first game? First game of the season after spending two and a half months trying Did out. Did that defender even get a red card? Um, they definitely <laughs> got, got a red they, book. They got a red <laughs> <laughs> No, they they got yeah. they they just got a they I mean yeah they got a card but not the yellow Jeez, card. So that's I basically devastating. it was devastating. Tore my yeah. sale, so I had to stay at the bank to get the best health insurance, to get the best quick. surgery. Was that the most devastating part that you had to stay at the bank? <laughs> it was actually I had to stay for a whole year because I had to get the best surgeon, the best health insurance, right. and the best yep. you can't give that up. physical therapists to kind of work on my knee. But then I went back out again, made it tried out again the following year, made the team again, made the same starting, team, same team, New York Magic. Made the starting lineup again, and then tore my other ACL. Kidding me? No. And so I was in the semifinal, in the semifinal game, like not even with them. It was like I was just kind of helping, kind of be a, a ringer on a on a on a you, you know like New York Soccer League game that was yeah. just in between. So at that point, are you like, this is not the plan? Like this is not meant to happen. It's not meant to happen. I'm putting <laughs> hanging up my cleats. What's next on my list? I'm gonna quit my job anyways. I can't do this anymore. And I went and worked in the film industry and then kind of worked my way up to kind of producing commercials and music videos. And then during that period is when I had my first idea for my first business, which was to start What um, did you know about the you know film industry? Well, I spent um, my two summers, a sophomore and junior year, um, reading scripts in LA for producers and directors mm-hmm. of different production companies because mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of be in the film business sure. for a while. And um, and so I really loved storytelling, and I think mm. that lent itself really well to building companies in the future. But um, yeah, storytelling was a really big part of 
um, of like something that I really love doing. What were some like stories or pieces of content that you had consumed like when you were younger that maybe well so this the- company these guys that oh, i read scripts were the dumb and dumber kingpin like, Com- cool like more comedy stuff all comedy yeah. like funny. the dumb comedy the like dumb the comedy stuff yeah. but like still like iconic dumb comedy yeah 100%. you know what i mean that everyone yeah, for remembers sure. for like you know one of my like favorites that. is like will ferrell and his movies Do you know what i mean like, I it's show. like just you can't you yeah. keep getting funnier you know when you yeah. keep watching them so yeah, and I think also comedy, you know, like if you look at Tushy and, and the company, they're all comedy undertone. Right. And mm-hmm. so I think it all it all comes together. Mm-hmm. Um, but my first business idea was born from eating the crappy craft service on the sets of commercials and music videos mm-hmm. when, you know, um, you're eating pigs in a blanket and pizza and like Smarties and Snickers. And mm-hmm. I would just come home every night with a horrible stomach ache. Mm. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? Because I would eat home-cooked Indian Japanese food, the cleanest yep. food ever. And, and this is for like all the staff, all the extras, like yeah, all the director, this, like, everybody's eating the same just food. Just this free shit, you know, yeah. like, and and I just love free, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was still paying off student loan debt. You know, I, it took me 10 years to pay off the loans. Mm. And at, at the time, we were just like, yeah, free is my favorite price. And so we would just eat all that all day long. And oh, it was awful. So that's when, you know, every time I would eat pizza specifically, I would have horrible stomach aches. And I was like, oh, like lactose I. Lactose intolerant. Lactose intolerant, gluten, gluten. sensitivity, yeah. like sugar would spike my whole thing and all the processed toppings and pepperoni. Just my body would just get inflamed. It was just not good for me. And so. I looked up the pizza industry when I got home one day because I remember eating pizza. I was like, oh, I love the way it tastes. But then yeah, oh, 20 I minutes like the way later, it feels, like, it feels yeah. like shit. And so I was like, wow, pizza's a $32 billion industry. Americans People eat 100 pizza. acres of yeah. pizza every single day. Like this is insane. Yeah. It's a huge opportunity to, you know, what if I can, I was like, whoa, like what if I can take this beloved comfort food and use gluten-free flours and hormone-free cheeses and local seasonal toppings and organic ingredients. And at the time, 2004, no one was talking about organic, gluten-free, local farm-to-table. These were just non like Subway was like the, yeah. the healthy and, company. And the idea was like, I mean, the, the pizza restaurants and there's like packaged pizza that's like- No, it was doing stores. a pizza restaurant. Like oh, like an actual la, restaurant. Like yeah. opening the, like the healthy pizza shop. Got it. You know, I was so naive. How old I, were you? Like 25? 25. And New York has like a lot of pizza shops. Right? Every corner. Yeah, every corner. So I was like, so, you know, I think becoming an entrepreneur, you have to have a healthy level of naivete. Like you yep. have to be like- Oh, pff, how hard could that be? Like I was I thinking could, about this literally today. It's do like you know what I mean? The amount of people that just like are too smart for their own good and just I mean? like talk themselves out of things. Exactly. Yeah. And you're like, oh well, this. What if this happens? What if that happens? You have to come in and be like, eh, I'm just gonna dive in head first, like whatever, you know. Yeah. And I, and you can't overthink it. You have to almost be a little bit impetuous. And I think that's that's part of being you know a good entrepreneur. I think. What was the brand called? Slice the perfect food. And my first book, Do Cool Shit, talks all about literally. You know, having the idea, building the concept, raising my first twenty five thousand dollars, having the New York Times come and write about us when I mean, we were no name, no chef, like nobody. You know, like what to do when you messed up, like all the different things from zero to one mm-hmm. um, is in, is in is in my book. Too cool shit, but it was yeah, like getting a lease in New York City. We were up against like Subway, like we were up against Starbucks. Right. It was so hard, but I would say like. Everything I I spent two years standing outside my restaurant, like asking people to try my little pizza. What was the response from people? It was so interesting because it was like the early days of A B testing headlines. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be like standing outside but yelling, just being like, healthy pizza. And people would be like, no one would stop. And I'd be like, gluten free pizza. Like, no one would stop. I'd be like, farm to table pizza. 
you know, tasty pizza. And then people would start stopping and I'm like, oh, like that works better. Oh, that yeah. that line works better. And so like was, literally not even telling them that it was like a different type of pizza, just tasty pizza. Well, yeah, tasty, like <laughs> tasty. And then when they came, then I'd be like, did you know? And they're like, oh, this is delicious. Like, like after they've tried after it, they, by the way, you know, you know, by the way, yeah. did you know that it's healthy? Did you know it's <laughs> yeah. gluten or like local ingredient, like whatever, whatever. And I think yeah. that was the best way. And it was just like, oh, like what I learned from that experience was meet people where they are hmm. and then teach them. So like, you know, I, I talk about in my book, Disruptor, the idea, like how to disrupt industry. Like when you think about the next company thinks the next company tushy after that, like, we're talking about be deep behavioral changes, mm -hmm. gen generational deep behavioral changes. And so you can't just like hammer something new over someone's head. I learned from my restaurants, from those headlines, standing outside my restaurant for years, that you have to meet people where they are. Mm -hmm. And then you can slowly transform them. That's what Whole Foods did. That's what, you know, John Mackey, you know, is a dear, dear friend of mine, mm -hmm. my son's godfather. Mm -hmm. And he talks a lot about, I could have, he, Whole Foods used to be like, you know, a, a, a vegan, you know, no sugar, no coffee, just pure, pure, puritanical vegan store. Yeah. And it almost shut down within the first year. And he had a big crossroads. He was like, do I maintain this vegan thing? But then no one comes to the food, my store and I shut down and then I become this like, you know, like this, this failed story. Or I can just get outraged and start screaming from the rooftops about how you shouldn't eat meat and how you shouldn't drink coffee because it's you know kills your adrenals or mm -hmm. whatever or how you shouldn't eat sugar whatever it is and um, and he's like or I can meet people where they are I can have the healthiest meats I can start, I can have tea coffee I can have sugar but have the best versions of everything right. and meet people where they are and guess what billions of dollars later. He's now converted way millions of people to a plant-based diet. He's mm. popularized plant-based diet, starting by meet, meeting people where they are. Yep. Did you end up scaling Slice? Yeah, we opened. We we got to four locations, but then I was like, I, I can't do this. This is too the restaurant. I'm not a restaurateur, and mm. what what I learned deeply from the restaurant industry and in the restaurant business was critical to starting Thinks and Tushy, which was. I was I spent seven years in my restaurant slogging 24-7, seven days a week, slinging pizzas, doing deliveries. Pizza guy wouldn't show up. I would make pizzas, like burning my arms. Like delivery guy wouldn't show up. I'd make deliveries. Like, I, I, like whatever needed to happen, I would do. And it was thankless pain. It was hard work. Yeah. Like, Were you making hard, money? Barely. Like I was like, I was just gonna barely. Ask, like how what are the margins on a pizza shop? Like I mean, pizza margins are better than restaurant margins for sure. Yeah. And especially if it's like, you know, organic and you know, you can start right. you can definitely charge a premium. But like I was like barely staying afloat. So I would say like, you know, profit margins, maybe like ten percent. If I was lucky, ten percent. Yeah. But it was like not not great. Um and um but seven years, like seven years of slogging, trying to figure it out having like employed people steal from me, mm. like everyone, everyone, their mother stole from me, like everyone cut to seven years later. I'm like, I need someone to like help me operate my business. Like I can't like, this is. So you did it for seven years. I did it myself for seven years. I, it's, I still have my restaurants 18 years later. They're still, they're still. Oh, they're still around. They're still around. Yeah. yeah. But two, 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 two around. after COVID, during COVID two, two closed. Um, after seven years, I finally was like, who could I call? And I was like, Oh, I remember my friend Walid, who was running um, Moby's restaurants, Teeny and a few other restaurants. I remember meeting him like eight years prior, and I just got a hit. 
And I called him up and I was like, Waleed, can you come to my restaurant? And it was at that time it was rebranded to Wild. And so now my restaurant's called Wild. And you can check it out like at Eat Drink Wild on Insta. And it's, it's food porn. It's delicious. <laughs> yeah. And um, and he's like, oh, your restaurant's named named Wild. My name is Walid. Walid Wild. Wild Walid. This is perfect. You yeah. know? <laughs> and um, so he comes to my restaurant and he falls in love with it. It's, like, it's the best location on Hudson between Perry and Charles. We're in the middle of Greenwich Village in the city. In the city. Yeah, great area. Yeah, great area, and we still have it. It's still open. It's our best. It's 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 the best selling one. And um, so he came and he took over. And my first question to him was, "Wali, do you believe in karma?" Because I was like at the time, like I said, robbed by everyone, like just just like discouraged after mm-hmm. seven years of slogging. And he goes, "Mickey, every time I have a bad thought." a bicycle run over my foot. And so I was like, ah, are you the genie from Aladdin? Like, thank God. Like, so he became my partner. And ever since then, he's been running my, the restaurants. And literally within one week of him taking over the restaurants, our numbers doubled. Within one month, our numbers tripled. And our- What was it? Was it? He just is an operator. He knows what he's doing. He knew how to like organize everything better. He knew how to like set the portions better. He Mm. knew like- Mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. like the basics that I kind of, I was just tr- trying to stay afloat. I didn't have time to, right, right. you know, do Is all it still that. the same concept now though? Or has it changed? It's it's more sit down restaurant. We okay. have entrees, we have specials, but it's pizzas are our bread and butter. Our cauliflower crust pizza, like no one compares to it. It's the best pizza in the city. Mm-hmm. Tasty wise too, like yeah. taste wise too, truly. And it's it's also gluten free and all the things. Um, so now so, this is like what, 2011? So 2013, 2013. He, he basically took over the restaurants okay. and it freed up my time to then start my next company, which is Thinks. Mm-hmm. And, and how'd um, you think about Thinks? Well, so great question. T- 2005, okay. so years prior, my twin sister and I were at our family barbecue. We were defending our three-legged race championship title at the family barbecue. In at, Canada. This is now in Connecticut. Our parents moved from Montreal to Connecticut when we were 18. Mm -hmm. And in Connecticut, it's called Agrapalooza, named after our last name, our dad. And uh, Agrapalooza, as he calls it. And um, we were were defending our three-legged race championship title. And in the middle of the race, my twin sister started her period. Rada started her period. And we were tied to each other, so her period would kind of start going into like kind of our sock too. And so we would like... (laughs) We were so after during the race, we like sprinted through the finish line and then ran up the stairs together, you know, up the stairs together. So, and then so she still can still tied together, still tied together, <laughs> so she can change out her bathing suit bottoms. Yeah. And w- as she was like washing out the bathing suit bottoms, is when the idea hit. We were like, wouldn't it be amazing to create a pair of underwear that never leaked, that never stained, that supported women on their periods, like mm. anytime they had any important occasions, like the three legged race. And then we started thinking about all the situations, like. We played soccer. We can't be like, yo, ref, stop the game. I'll go change my tampon. Mm-hmm. My older sister's a surgeon. Every single one of her underwears have like stains in them because she can't be like, yo, face while I'm operating on your face. Keep it open while I go change my tampon. Like yeah. when you're stuck in traffic, when you're presenting, when you're doing a recital, if you're a dancer, if you're defending your thesis, if you're on a first date, if you're whatever, if you're on a plane, like you go, you run, a woman runs into these problems all the time. And you just leak through everything, you bleed yeah. out, and it's a pain in the butt. And every single woman, this is an every single woman problem. So, so eight years later, no one had done anything to solve that? No. Like there weren't any other products on the market? Period underwear were not even, like people were like, period underwear, like bleed into my, like I would never do that. Like people were just like, huh, this is such a disgusting, terrible, weird idea. Mm. So we didn't raise a penny. 
Like, mm-hmm. we tried to raise money for over a year and raise zero dollars. We had to resort to doing a Kickstarter. So my twin sister, myself, and, and you we, needed you needed money to go and build the product, like create. Yeah, the we had to go develop yeah. the. Well, we 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 developed the product ourselves. It took us four years. Me, Rod, and Antonia, our, our third co-founder. And we basically went to fabric shop. We called every technology company. It was like, okay, it needs to be antimicrobial, moisture wicking, absorbent, and leak proof. And so we had to have all the different technologies within four fabrics, but still feel super thin, like not like a pad. And when you wore them, it felt like really, really comfortable. And so, um, yeah, so it really really was um, a revolutionary like concept and also like disrupting an industry because tampons and pads have been invented in the 1930s. And 19, you know, and so there was no innovation since then because it's a taboo space. Why do you think you were getting a lot of people saying no? If there were, if there, if it was like, obviously it's like a big industry. It's like every woman. Because, <laughs> like, because period underwear was sounded like a gross concept. Right. People just, it just never existed. Mm-hmm. People were like bleed into my underwear. Like, well, it's a backup for a tampon or pad, or you could bleed into them. Either one, you just wash them out and you just hang dry mm-hmm. and you're fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it just was, it just didn't. Like now, everyone's like, "Yeah, duh, mm-hmm. of course." Because we, but we took us years to create the industry. Yeah, you know. But now we're, you know, now the company's a leader. Like thinks is a leader in the period under space, and you know, cut to starting Tushy. You know, again, like using a similar playbook of, you know, how do we disrupt an industry that's only using toilet paper in this country? Meanwhile, bidets are ubiquitous in, you know, in, in Asia. They're ubiquitous all over. Yep. So. You know, we also use a similar strategy to build to So build Tushy. were you running tanks for like, how many years was that? I mean, I know it's still around, but like, were you just the main one? CEO. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so, and then, and Antonia was um, also in the business. My sister, Rada, n- never actually operated in the business. She was launching Daybreaker at the time, um, but she was our third co-founder. We started the company together, but then she kind of never operated in the business. So you're like, at that point, you're, I'm just trying to do some like math, like you're in your thirties, like this is your full-time job. Yeah. Um, hopefully making money at this point. Well, at this point, I mean, startup phase, I mean, like, <laughs> not, like again, like yeah. we're starting a company, so not, not a lot at the beginning. I mean, in, in 20, I remember it was like 2014, end of 2014, we like, we were like $60,000 in the hole. And we were like, we thought we would raise the money and we didn't. And we were like, holy shit, we're going to have to close our doors. Like, this is crazy. But then last minute, like a partner came through. It was a pretty aggressive deal. They took half the company for not that much invested, but they were able to take a lot of our manufacturing and a lot of our stuff off of our plate. So we were like, fuck it, let's just do it. We had no other choice. Yeah. And so we we took the deal and they then became our partners. And then from there, we had to, I restructured the business a little bit. Um, and then kind of took the reins on the brand. And then we had a few big breaks. Did you feel like you had a better grasp on this business versus Slice? Now you know now it's called Wild, but... I mean, they're completely different industries. Yeah. Completely different thing. But I, I built the resilience of hard work because it was 24-7, the restaurant. So, like, everything's figureoutable. Like, you know, there's a lot of, um, like, transferable skill sets but um, it was still starting from ground up, right. you know. But it wasn't like I didn't have to be there till like midnight every night, which was mm. nice. Like I got to like sleep, <laughs> yeah, which was which was cool. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think with with things like we had a, our big 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 break came in 2015 when we, 
you know, tried to get into the subways, New York City subways, and they banned our subway campaign from being the subways because they said, like, you can't say period on the subways. What if nine-year-old This is the boys, city of New York? Yeah, the most progressive city in the world. Mm-hmm. And so we said, if you don't let us publish these ads in the subway, we'll go to press. Yep. And they basically said, go to press. They called my bluff because I didn't know any press at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so we went to, we, we basically called two re- friends of friends of friends who like had an in at different, you know, yeah. places. And... Um, and one of the publications published it and the story went viral internationally and put us on the map. And it was like the big moment for our company because, yeah, they were like, how is how periods not allowed to be said out loud mm-hmm. in the most progressive city in the world? It's mm-hmm. kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And so, and if you actually cut to Tushy, we use the same playbook for for things because we were banned from the subways for Tushy as well because mm-hmm. they said bidets are like sex products. <laughs> and we were like, what? And they can, were like- Can't a lot of things be sex products? Exactly. And we're <laughs> yeah. like, uh, no, it's not. It's like toilet paper. It's like washes your right, butt. Right, right. And, and so they said, you can't, you can't do that. And so we said, we'll go to press. And so we went to press and New York Daily News published an article about, you know, the MTA banning our tushy ads from the subways. And- like the universe is so miraculous because you just you cannot predict virality. Yep. But Saturday Night Live, SNL, like they go through the, the New York dailies like every day to find funny random stories. Mm-hmm. And they found the story. And the lead writer for SNL, Michael Che, loves Tushy and loves bidets. So he went on weekend update Saturday Night Live. You can't pay, there's no price to pay. Yeah. And he went and did a three minute rant on why Tushy should have been approved on the ads and why bidets are the best thing in the whole world. It was like a three minute, like infomercial about Tushy. And that was our viral How'd moment. How'd you see it? Did you like, did someone hit you up and be People like, were like, what the fuck? How did you get Tushy on SNL? And we were like, what, what, what? And it, it was just like one of those, you can't how, make this shit up moments. How did you come up with the idea for Tushy? I mean, obviously, bidets existed, but like, how did you come up with the idea for Tushy? So, so, so because of my restaurant, like just working 24-7 and just hustling so hard, I developed a really intense hyperthyroid condition, hmm. which f- put my body into overdrive for a couple of years where I, my heart was palpitating. I was shitting up to eight times a day. Hmm. I lost a ton of weight. It was it was really terrifying mm-hmm. for my my body, my adrenals, like everything was just working so hard because I was pushing my body so past its limits, and and so because one of the side effects of hyperthyroidism is pooping a lot, I ended up like wiping and wiping and wiping, and so I would just get really raw. So I ended up jumping in the shower to wash my butt every time I went to the shower because it was so raw that um, my my husband, my boyfriend at the time, now husband, got me this. Like for Valentine's Day, a bidet, like a crappy bidet product. <laughs> Great romantic gift. Right. And he installed it and he was like, surprise. Hey, babe, clean your ass a little bit. Yeah. He was <laughs> like, gift in the bathroom. Just yeah. <laughs> and it was a beautifully romantic What gift. is this shit you got me? Yeah. Literally. And, um, and, and it changed my life. It truly changed my life. It made my life so, like, ec- like exponentially more right. easeful and better because I was just, it was such a painful process. And I thought, then thought about everyone with chronic UTIs, hemorrhoids, anal fissures, anal itching, bacterial vaginosis, yeast infections, like people have GI issues, they have soft stool, when they have anyone with thyroid issues, one in seven. I mean, it's like anyone with any time that they have, they have not like a perfect poop, you're wiping and wiping and you're just smearing shit around. You're sitting on fecal matter all mm-hmm. day long because most of like you're on your computer and that fecal matter creeps up and then for women it goes in your vaginal canal and causes 
all these infections and diseases and smell and gross. Right. So it's just, and for and these men, are things it's that, like, like dingleberries sure people, are real. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's like things that you, like people don't talk about, right? Like it's like, it's like you call it taboo, call it like edgy, whatever you want to call it, but it's like not, it's like shit people don't talk about. So how did you- Literally. How did yeah. you, yeah. How did you, um, <laughs> what was the kind of initial step of like trying to get it out there to- people and find you know the target audience like or whatever them basically yeah or? we yeah i'm sure there's education involved yeah for sure i mean first low-hanging fruit but then we i always use comedy so i learned that comedy really psychologically takes people's guards down mm-hmm. and actually allows for new information to implant like comedy like people people remember like when they go to a stand-up comedy show and the, yeah. the jokes because it's like they're just so funny and it it it, it somatically brings your body your guard down mm-hmm. And so we used be, like like comedy, like comedic writing with artful imagery, like considered artful imagery. And I think art also brings people's guards down. Art is one of the first things that people are like, wow, that's so beautiful. And they're like, oh, they're talking about poop and butts and like mm-hmm. bidets. Like what? Yeah. You know, but like they've already let their guard down. Mm-hmm. And they're so, oh my God, this is so funny. They already let their guard down. So when they let their guard down and we're like introducing something new, we're like, this will change your life. It'll save your, your health and hygiene. You'll feel more confident and sexy. Yeah. You will save your money. Over time, you're saving thousands of dollars. You're saving trees. You care about planet. Put your money where your mouth is. Your 15 million trees get cut down every single year for toilet paper consumption. Do you want to continue to be part of that? Right. Or do you want to like your next generation to like actually have a good planet to live? So we basically just started educating but through comedy through artful imagery and through a best-in-class product but were you like targeted at all in your initial approach of like trying to get like initial customers or because everyone with I a mean, butt anyone, yeah, yeah, everyone, yeah everyone, everyone with a butt is yeah. in this situation definitely so. d- definitely millennials yeah because millennials were known to change our hearts and minds faster and easier they were willing to try new things um and then also people who have like who who care about sustainability? People who care about health and hygiene. People who care about um, you know money savings, like cost savings, things like that. So we were able to target people who cared about, and people specifically low hanging fruit who had all these ailments: UTIs, hemorrhoids, fissures, right. BV, blah 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 blah, yeah, GI, yeah. like people have mobility issues. People who are older, like there's so many. Anytime you know, like there's there's people with disabilities, like you can't reach around and wipe your butt. Like there's, mm-hmm. you just instead you turn this little knob. We actually we actually work with community the disability community to make a knob that's easy to turn, mm-hmm. so that they can just turn it and it washes their butt and they feel so autonomous. They feel so good. Yeah, that they don't have to like have someone come and you know do that for them. Well, you know? Why do you think that it wasn't a part of our culture here in the U.S. versus a all over Asia, Asia, Europe, where it's like been a thing. Like, why wasn't it the case here? Be- purely cultural. So, so literally, number one, the bidet is a French product invented yeah. by French man, and bidet means squat horse. Mm-hmm. And um, because a French person invented it, the Americans ha- are English. They hate the French. That's number one. Number two is during World War II when American soldiers went to Europe and they went and fought. You know, in Europe, while they were in France the soldiers would go to French brothels and they would see bidets in the French brothels and they associated bidets as something dirty and sexual. And this was puritanical Christian America. When they came back to America, they were like, uh, we think bidets are bad. We were never in brothels, you know? And so they basically mm-hmm. shunned the bidet, but they welcomed in pizza. So during World War II, like I, I'm, of course, I'm also pizza aficionado and I used to teach a history of pizza because I somehow know you know, a lot about the history of pizza. And so during World War II, the American soldiers 
went to Southern Italy as well. They went all over Europe and they discovered this poor man's food called pizza, which was used to basically test the temperature of ovens. And poor men, instead of wasting the bread, they would put sauce and cheese on it and call mm. it pizza. Anyways, so the American soldiers brought those back after World War II. They basically popularized, so then Domino's, Pizza Hut, all came after World War II. So pizza came to America from Europe they shun the bidet. Mm -hmm. And so that's literally, and then since then, all the plumbing systems were built, all the things were built, and they just never really picked up. Yeah, yeah. And then toilet paper industry, 1890s, the Scots family, they basically like, what can we invent that people have to use and consume all the time over and over and over and over again? They, they were a big, rich family that had a lot of money, and they were like, oh, we can basically create this thing called toilet paper that because before people were using phone books and trees and like cloth and they were using leaves and <laughs> like 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 corn husks to wipe their butts, you know, and like all this infection and all shit. So like, oh, we can invent this re like this replenishable product that we can kill trees, but like we can, you know, create this thing. We'll call it toilet paper and we'll just spend a million dollars promoting this thing yep. in the eighteen hundreds. And they became the first to popularize toilet paper. And that's oh. when it became it blew up. When when you have ideas, what's your kind of process? Do you just like go for it, or do you like do you, you know? I imagine you have other ideas that you haven't pursued, like businesses for. Like, what's you know why these specific ones? Yeah, what's your process for that? Yeah, so in my book, I actually talk. I ask myself the three questions. And do, do, cool, do cool shit. shit. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, and sorry, when did you write that book? Do cool shit was re I wrote it in 2013, and Disruptor came out in 2019. Okay, so so you wrote it right basically right when you're starting things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I wrote it for about really about the building of the restaurant. The restaurant. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just to kind of actually memorialize for myself like what I learned. Mm -hmm. Like and in a story format. Just like, oh, this is how we got this is how we got press and this is how we raised money and this is how and we, you know, did all the marketing and all the things. Like because we kept getting I kept getting a lot of people asking like how like how'd you do it, even if I'm a small fry. Like yeah. people want to know how to go from zero to one, you know. Mm -hmm. Um what was the question again? The question was like when you have ideas, like what's your oh, yeah. yeah. And why why these these particular ideas? Yep. It's I so I asked myself these two questions. The first question is what sucks in my world? It has to be a problem that sucks in my life. That you like, like care enough about to, to, to not just like start the business, but go through the early tough shit of like starting a business. Exactly. Yeah. So that's question number three. So question number one is yeah. what sucks in my world? Yeah, yeah. It has to be a problem with me. So first I had a stomach ache, which is why I started the restaurants and started pizza because I had tummy aches. What sucked in my world? Having period accidents everywhere. What sucked in my world? Having a dirty, annoying butt, you know, mm -hmm. like butt from poop, <laughs> yeah. you know? Question number two is does it suck for a lot of people? Does it suck for a lot of people? One in five Americans are lactards, you know? Like yeah. they don't, they can't eat lactose. One in five Americans now eat gluten-free. It's a huge, huge, huge opportunity. But did you go about that, like doing just like research online or yeah. like talking to people? Tons of research online, yeah. talking, yeah, all of it, all of the above. All of it, yeah. Um, Are you the person that like hits up all your friends and just like, yes, so, like, yeah, yes. Yeah. I'm not the one who's like, I'm not telling anyone anything. Yeah. I'm hiding my, people <laughs> yeah. are like, oh, I'm not telling. It's like, no one's going to start the thing that you're coming up with. Trust me. No, they're not going to care as much. Yeah. Like, go Just tell everyone and what's most likely going to happen is they'll give you more ideas mm. and you'll actually have better ideas yep. when you talk about it more and more. Um, so what sucks in my world having, you know, what sucks for others, every woman has a period accident. Every person who doesn't have a bidet has a dirty butt. You know, like what sucks in, like, so what sucks in my world, does it suck for a lot of people? So if it sucks for a lot of people, it's an opportunity, it's a market, yep. mm -hmm. it's, it's a business. And then the third question is the most important, as you said, can I be passionate about this issue cause or community for a really long time? Like, can I see myself doing this for 10 years? Can I, yes, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. Can I sit in the discomfort of the ups and downs and the shitstorm and the, I don't know how to figure this out, like like stress 
in t- of 10 years in this particular industry, in this particular business, in this particular exact business. For me, the restaurants was, yes, I want to eat pizza. I love pizza. I want my own version. Yes, I want to solve my period problem. It's a problem every month. I, every month it's a messy, frustrating thing. I need to solve this. I will be passionate about this forever. Will I be passionate about solving my own problem, which saved my life? Like it gave me dignity. Like honestly, like yeah. like, and I felt clean and sexy and desirable and and like awesome, you know. And I saved trees. And I saved money. Like I was like, yes, like I can be passionate about this. Like it checks off the boxes. It for checks me. off yeah. all the boxes for me, and it's disruptive enough that it'll be interesting for me to figure out how to get people interested in trying this. Like from a creative person perspective, I love like introducing something new to people. And and doing it in a way that people are like, huh? Like I never thought about that. Mm. You know, it's a creative it's a creative person's like kind of dream to come up with like how do you tell a story? Yep. Which question do most of your ideas die at? Um, probably does it suck for a lot of people? Second one. It's the second one because a lot of problems like you just have and you're like I'm just like a weirdo. Like, like what's one? Of, well, give me a couple of those. I'm curious. Um, or or any that you have come up with that you're like ah oh, I got killed. Okay, so like one of, the, I mean, I had this idea of like starting like, <laughs> Andrew will will laugh at me because he was like, that's like such a dumb idea. But I still think it's kind of a good idea. Like an idea called wheels. And this was like originally because I was like, I hate, I'm t- a tiny person. Like I hate carrying shit. So like taking like any duffel, anything, you just like, it's a thing that you just, it just, it turns anything into. Like a, do- like a, like a makeshift dolly type it make, thing. It turns anything yeah. into like a, 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 pushable, like a push or pull bag. Yeah, like. Yeah. You know, and like no one's done that before. And I was like, it just saw it would solve a problem for me. But it's like, I mean, <laughs> I think it would solve a problem for a lot of people. But Andrew was like, I don't I don't think I'd put wheels on a fucking bag. And I was like, <laughs> I would. I would do that a hundred percent. Yeah. You know, or like, I mean, I have an idea right now that, you know, my dad and I are actually thinking about doing, but and it's a problem that sucks for everyone, which is like, I want to create a vacuum cleaner for the sky, you know, where it vacuum cleans and takes in all the CO2 and then breaks the CO the carbon oxygen atom and then like Basically, using like you know the energy of the sun, and and then like would this be like a commercial product, or would this be like a, like a product that like an individual? It would be a commercial has. product, <clears throat> but then it would be like living on people's homes. So then, like the oxygen would go back in the air, and the carbon would used to be power of the homes, you know, stuff like that, which is like, but it's a pretty intense, yeah, uh, you know, process to yeah, do. Pretty intense undertaking. You know what I mean? And yeah. so stuff like just like, but like, I mean, I've oh, an idea we we came up. I mean, early early on was called the build your own pizza kit. You know, which was yep. like before, like the the food prep, like business meal delivery, all the meal delivery stuff. Like that was this was in two thousand and um, four mm-hmm. when we you know two thousand five when we came up with we were like, oh, we would make your own pizza kit, like the crust, sauce, cheese, and toppings in different bags, and then you would come you at home, you just put it together and make it as a family, like a family fun thing. But then you'd feel like you had a hand in making your food, but it was way too early. Mm. Like it wasn't like logistically, like logistically, it just was not like work. I I remember <laughs> like buying a vacuum seal machine and buy renting a truck. And bringing it, and I almost died because the vacuum machine came loose in the truck and oh, almost God. hit me in the back of the head. And it was like, oh my God, what am I doing? Um, so it just kind of died after like this, you know, I, we, I, I sold it in 18 stores. Yeah, yeah. But it was like, I can't, like, it was just not, it was like not working, mm. you know. You have a lot of energy and enthusiasm. Where does that come from? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
I think I, I I personally think honestly, like just like you two are best friends, and you have this podcast. You've done what two hundred twenty plus podcasts, like you've said. Mm-hmm. Like you have an energy between you that keeps you coming back and doing this and continuously, even when sometimes it's like you're t- tired from work, yep. you want to go home, you want to start early so you can just get home early and be done. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. but you're still doing it because like we're fucking doing it. Mm-hmm. It's I've had that as a tw- with a twin for my whole life. I've had a buddy who's like, oh my God, it's the best idea I've ever heard in my entire life. Let's go fucking do it. I'll be your first customer. You know? Yeah. And so it's like having someone be your like your your cheerleader and your co-conspirator and your best friend to do something with, like to co-create and ideate and build with. Yeah. Um, for me, I think is, and then my community now is all like the sparkly eyed dreamers who just are always like, yeah, you know, like super supportive, excited people. Mm-hmm. And so I think like excitement, how do you, how excitement do you about, generates excitement. 100%. How do you go about like building those relationships with people? Like, I mean, obviously through time you're, you go to places, but like, is there anything specific that you're like kind of seeking out in terms of like the people you surround yourself with? Cause yeah, it's sure. just so important. It's like the mo- one no, of the most important things. This is, and do. this when people, when people yeah. ask me like, what is the number one piece of advice as an entrepreneur to build, to, to, to start and grow your company? For me, it's community mm-hmm. building your community. Just like, just like the two of you, like I said, you've kept this going for many years, like, you know, whatever, since 2019 yep. because of your relationship and that spark, you're like, we get to come together, hang out mm-hmm. the same thing. It's like, for me, when, when, Building my community in New York with my with my friends, we're most of us are entrepreneurs, and so like when shit hits the fan and shit is low and shit is hard, we go and have hang out with our friends, and and then we celebrate their wins. Like you know, one of our friends, like Matt, I'll never forget. Like he was trying to raise money for almost two years and couldn't raise a dime, and we remember like when he sent us a screenshot of his bank account that showed that he'd raised a couple million. Like we all sobbed together. Mm, yeah, like, we all. Because we were in it together. Because it's you like know, it is such a your lonely, win is my win, my yeah. win is your win, and it, it's like that level of like we're in this together, and um and and so like when shit hits the fan for me, like or I'm like have a big launch for like or I have a big party launch for everything. Everyone shows up because I show up for them. They show up for me, not because oh you scratch my back, I scratch yours, but it's genuine. Yeah, yeah. You genuinely want to support each other, mm-hmm. and that is the key, I think, to longevity in business, Mm -hmm. to keeping this energy. Like, why am I energetic, Jai's? Because my friends keep me energized. Like, my family, like, all my besties, like, people who I love and love me back, like, we... You know, like we we keep each other filled up. Uh And how do do we do that? Is by handpicking people. You're like, Mm -hmm. you, you're... We have yeah. great. We have great energy. Yeah, yeah. I'm inviting. I, I would love for you to come to a dinner party I'm having next week. People have to be proactive. Mm-hmm. People are like, oh, you just build community like that. No, it's an ongoing, like, just like you guys. Like I said, I'm like, bringing this back to your podcast. Week in, week out, you have new guests. You bring people in. You do this commitment. You meet new people. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, like I really vibed with you. Like I'm having a party. You want to come to my house? Yeah. People think they're just gonna like. People are just gonna come to that. Gonna and come like, to them no, and no. just be like, no. You have to go and <laughs> yeah. seek people out. Have yeah. conversations. You've had 220 conversations. With epic people. You're, you and you'll remember. The, Some once, weren't that epic. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying like, so two, like 218. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, but, but but no, but like I'm sure like. 10 of them will be like, oh, these could be friends. Yeah, of 100%. course. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. Like, yeah. you're going to be like, of them, like, 
Now all of a sudden you've you've got peeps that you can call and you're like, oh my God, we really like, that was fun. Like yeah. I want to continue, want to come over for a beer. You want to come over and hang out. Like I built a, I made a big soup of Armenia in my mom grandma's <laughs> soup dish. Yep. That was the fucking soup. No, I it's always soup, about Pat. the soup. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and it's 100%. like, Soup's I always deal. gather people with doll soup at my house. Yeah. Like we always gather people with food, like break bread around the table. Like mm-hmm. we know that as family people, immigrants, mm-hmm. that's how you do. Mm-hmm. That's and the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. And so, so it's about organizing community. It's about feeling a vibe. Like our community, Boom Spiral in New York, it's been mostly like my sister, myself, Elon, Andrew, and now it's grown. But in the beginning, handpicking. We met people on the plane sitting next to us. We're like, oh my God, you should join this crew. Like, oh my God, we met someone at this conference. We're like, oh my God, we love you. At Burning Man, we met, oh my God, you really, oh, we met someone at like, you know, that, like at a coffee shop also. We met someone at like, you know, at a friend's house. It just, wherever, mm-hmm. but it's all same frequency, same vibration, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, doing something cool in the world, lit up by what they're doing in their lives. Like, not like kind of shit-talky, like mm-hmm, negative, mm-hmm. like wants to hate their job together. Like, it's everyone's like, oh my God, who, like, I can't even get words out because I'm so excited about, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. who can talk faster about what they're doing because we're so excited, right? Like, it's that level of energizing people that come into our life where sometimes like I remember when I went through the shitty dark part of my life and I was like, you know, I just, I, I like, I, I remember I, I just also like given birth and mm-hmm. like, well, at that point it was, was beautiful because I'd given birth. But prior to that a really tough time, I had friends come over and just like play guitar and entertain me. Like I didn't even need to talk sometimes. Like, and then sometimes I got super excited and you know, we just, we'd revive each other. Like that's, yeah. that's it. I, I'm, I'm, I, I have so much to learn still, right? Like there's so much life to be lived and, and experiences to be had. But one thing I've boiled down at, at this stage of my life is everything we do is pretty much to be able to surround ourselves with like, like awesome people and just enjoy Cause that's just like such a like it's like a part of life that you can't buy necessarily and you can't like it's just like it's just like the meaning of life it, for so many people it, it, it's, right? it's it's love like <laughs> yeah, we all yeah. want to be loved and to give love like yeah. that is that's it when we're we're all going to die that is well, the certainty of, of life is that we're going to die yeah. what are we going to remember by by working the other 24 hours a day or we're going to remember by like man he showed up for me when i needed him the yeah. most like wow like what a fucking great friend like when i got sick i got you know, like what I'm saying is like over. once you like, have that in life and you truly have that, like that's that's like pure success to me. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's pure it. success. That's yeah. it. That's it. It's it's truly it's truly beautiful. And um and and sometimes it's easy to take for granted. And sometimes we remember with to remind ourselves. Like right now, I'm in the I'm in a minute like with my with my husband Andrew. We're in a three month trial separation mm-hmm. after 11 years right now, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And we're going through a transmute you know transmuting of our of our of our relationship. And it's like. Oh wow! Like even these moments are are important in 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 sort of like building community. Like how do you build community in a new way in this next chapter in our life? Like within with each other, even right. So it's like community. Like community communities change and they evolve all the time, which includes your closest relationships and closest partners. Mm-hmm. And it's not about oh, like I'm I'm moving on. It's like we're we're all evolving together, and either some people evolve with us or some people don't. And then either we 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 come to you know it's 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 an ever evolving thing. So mm-hmm. like I also want to be clear that like community like we we don't necessarily we, we're constantly building our community again yep. and again and again and again and again in the same way we're constantly building our own selves again and again and again and constantly building our closest relationships again and again and mm-hmm. again. Right. My point of saying like what what I'm going what I'm experiencing with my husband right now is that like it's ever evolving and it's all okay. Yeah. Like it's all okay. Every version of community relationships, it's all 
part of the journey and it's all really important. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm curious, does the positivity and like the energy ever get draining or is it just like have is it just like you? Yo, I can chill harder than you probably can. Okay? <laughs> probably, I'm yeah. so I'm such a hardcore chiller too. No, no I'm just kidding. No, no, I do. I mean, I I I get I'm Indian blooded, you know what I mean? Japanese, like straight up samurai, like right? Like my mom comes from samurai lineage. Like I, I can get fucking hot and heated as well. And I can get angry and I can get sad and I can get hurt and I can get, I mean, like anyone else. Right. But like, you know, I think my main normal way of being is optimistic. And yeah. I think most entrepreneurs have to be naturally optimistic. Because if you're naturally pessimistic, you're just never going to feel like you can get through a hump. Right. It's like, oh, this is going to happen. And then you, eventually it's, it's like you, what you think happens, right? The NGMI not going to make it. Yeah. So it is the Twitter term. I don't even know. Oh, yeah. It's like so It's like, fuck yeah. that. You yeah. know? I hate, like, I hate that shit. I'm a, I hate that shit. Yeah. I'm an eternal optimist. Like, yeah. yes, like I'm not a bypasser. Like I'm not being like, it's cool. Like we're on, in a separation. You're realistic. Like, I'm realistic. And I'm yeah. like, you know, and I also, because I've experienced the depths of despair, sadness, pain, hurt, trauma, all the things in my life in business, I now know that the depths of that can create the heights of like joy and gratitude and holy shit magic. This is amazing. And so now when I go through really hard shit, like even right now, like with my with my husband, like this moment, like it's hard, but it's also beautiful. It's important. It's needed. Like I know the beauty in the hardship. Mm-hmm. Like I see the joy and the magic in this moment. So we can come out, we can come out the other side even more connected, even closer, even better than before. Because now that like it's like when you go through something really hard and then you get through it, and then you 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 sort of thrive. You don't even survive, but you sort of thrive. You're like, oh, like I went through that and I came out of it even better. Like yeah. I know now, like I have faith and belief that no matter what shit thing goes happens. I will come out and it's going to be better. Yeah. I just have to trust. Mm-hmm. And like we we often don't trust yep. ourselves, the universe, others, anyone. And so it's it's when we're like in full trust surrender, but like not fake trust. We're like, I'm trusting, I'm trusting. It's like when you're really trusting, like that, that a lot of it, times that it, comes through experience. And like yeah. one of the beauty beautiful parts of of getting older and experiencing a lot of things is like you get to go through it and realize like, oh, this is how it is. So that way the next time it comes around, you're like, oh, I know exactly how to handle this. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. it's like, and exactly. It's like, oh, like I just, I saw this before. Mm-hmm. I did it that way. That didn't, that wasn't fun for me doing mm-hmm. it that way. Mm-hmm. Let me try doing it this way. Oh, I did it this way. That was way more fun. Even if it's a hard thing, it was way less stressful to do it this way. Okay, I'm gonna do it this way next time. Okay. Oh, next time I can do it even uh, even more like high vibrational way. Like, let me do it that. So it's, it's a, but yes, you have to, I think, I think rather than living in our safe box and just being like, I'm not going to put myself in these scary positions and then just live. Like my favorite saying is this, is this poem or is this quote, which is like, I want to skid to death's door sideways, not in a well-preserved body, thoroughly used up, loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. Mm. You know, it's like, that's like, that's how we want to live. I want to be like, I want to suck the marrow out of life. You know, we talk about that. I talk about that all the time with my sister and my family and my friends. We're like, we want to experience everything before we die. Not just be like, oh, I like, you know, the minivan, my I mean, white picket fence and the nice house and the suburb of the blah. I'm like, kill me. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, no, yeah. like I want to feel every pain and every joy possible before I when die. When did you come to that realization? Like what, 
not not only what happened, but like at what age, at what moment? I I, I it's a very God. You guys ask great questions. <laughs> it you. was a very specific moment for me. Was 2017 when I was in the eye of the storm of this really really awful time in my last in my last company. It was like. And the last company being things in the things. last company. I was a really, really like yucky. Like I was pregnant at the time. Like it was just dark. Like what was going on, and and you know, like well, we can. That's the story for another time. But yeah. um, I remember I was pregnant and crying in my pillow, being like, "What? Like why is this? Like what? What am I?" What's why me? You know what I mean? Like you have those moments where you're like, why me? Like what did I do? You're what just like I trying to recollect to all your thoughts. Yeah. Like what yeah. the fuck did I do to deserve this bullshit? Like how is this happening? I'm pregnant with a baby, and this pe- this is this what's going on? Like what the fuck? And 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 I remember like crying in my pillow and just being so sad. And then I had this like Whoopi Goldberg in the movie Ghost Out of Body Experience. You know, you go, blah, blah, blah. And then like instead of like the she embodying a person, like I came out of my own body and became like a fly observing myself crying in my pillow. And I was like, oh my God, I get to feel the depths of despair. Like I get to feel like, holy shit, like I get to feel betrayal at a core deep level that I never would have felt had I not gone through this experience. Uh And so I just got hit by this deep gratitude. Like it was an out of body experience. Like I I can't explain it. And you were just crying. Like that that was, was I was just, well, I was crying in my pillow, but then I started laugh crying. I was like, like, like a psycho, like in my (laughs) pillow, just being so grateful for this dark experience so that I can now feel everything that like I, it was a feeling that I'd never felt before. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, wow, like I just expanded my own emotional capacity in this way, which means that I can expand my emotional, my own emotional capacity in joy and ecstasy and like that other direction too. Yeah, the and contrast. The contrast. Yeah. Yeah. And I can also now meet people where they are if someone else has experienced despair or betrayal or sadness at this level, like I can meet them there and comfort them. Because before I was like, couldn't meet them because I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't have the experience to even go there. And so how can I meet someone in that, like really feel their pain if I haven't experienced it myself? Yeah. And so now I have this like new touch point of connection and intimacy with someone else that I just didn't have access to before, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm just in deep reverence and gratitude. And I think from that moment, it was like, I was like, bring me the pain, like bring me the anger, bring me the fear. You know, I also think another, I did, I did a 5-MeO DMT ceremony. Oh, what? Say that again? 5-MeO DMT. It's DMT. is like you smoke this like fr- toad, like venom. Basically out of a pipe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, sorry, daddy and mama, but like, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, is it like some sort of like psychedelic experience? It's a psychic. It's basically yeah. what it takes you to. It's supposed to be like a death and a rebirth experience. Like you actually die and you come back, like in your mind. Wow. So it's this full on. But because I just had Hero, my son, I was like, I, there's a fucking way I'm dying. So my whole being resisted death. And the whole point is like, what resists persists, right? We know that. And so I just 
for eight months after that experience, I barely, I slept one hour a night. And I was so scared. For I was, eight months? For eight months. And I was like, I was sleeping eight hours a night before. And yeah. I was like, I was like going slowly crazy. I was like, I'm never going to sleep again. Like, what have I done to my, like, what have I done? Because you're afraid of death. Well, I was never going to sleep again. No, because I, because I would just, this, this, this experience, yeah. every time I closed my eyes, I would have these reactivations. You felt like you were back God. in that. I was yeah, back yeah. in the thing. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God. Like, and finally I remember eight months later, I was like, fine, fucking kill me. Like, I can't do this anymore. Just take me universe. Like, <laughs> yeah. I can't do this anymore. Yeah, yeah. And in that deep for real surrender, I all of a sudden became a tree where I was like, writhing around like this like just and i was like you know getting just in a storm i was a tree in a storm and i let fear fully in like i let fear like to the tips of my fingers to the top of my head to the bottom of my toes i just let fear in like 100% overcome my whole entire body like fear just took over my whole body and just let it and i was just like oh my god you know whatever <laughs> and then and then and then like storms it passed and then, and that night I slept seven, I slept seven hours. The next night I slept eight. And I was like, it was a somatic experience, which means it was a body felt experience. I was like, wow. Like when I resist, a, like, I was like, oh, wow. Feelings, emotions are visitors. Mm -hmm. They come and they go. They come and they go. They come through the door. So many window shops, sometimes they're peering in. Sometimes they come through the door. Sometimes they overstay their welcome boo-hoo, I'm sad or I'm angry. You know when you get angry and sometimes mm -hmm. you're like angry for too long or you're like too sad or you're like really euphoric and you're like, wow, this is, you know, whatever. But every feeling comes and goes. It, you know, orgasm comes and goes. Like feelings, every single thing comes and goes. So it was that moment where I'm like, oh, this too shall pass. Like anything shall pass. Yeah. Any moment that's hard, that's easy, that's mm -hmm. amazing, that's tough, that's this, that's, it'll just keep passing and I'll, Having the weather keeps changing, my feelings keep passing, it'll just keep changing. So I can't control the weather, I can't control my emotions. They just come to me and I just have to let them. I have to acknowledge them, I have to accept them, and they just come through me and mm -hmm. they just go. So it's like I think you just, I just have to have these these deep experiences to be like, oh. And then imprint them. For sure. You know? So what does like day-to-day -day look like for you now? And like what's the kind of maybe near-term, let's call it five to ten-year vision of like what you want to do? Yeah. Well, so I'm working on a new company as well. So I have Tushy, of course, that I'm building. Mm -hmm. How is Tushy doing? Tushy's doing great. You know, we are scaling and we are, um, you know, we're, we're, we're in the nine-figure valuation, you know, space already, which is very cool. Awesome, yep. Um, yep. And... Um, and you know, with under thirty people on my team, that's amazing. Yeah, we have we have an. Are you the CEO or? I'm, so I've I brought in a CEO from Amazon who's amazing. I'm the chief creative officer, founder, chief creative officer. I have my a dope, you know, um, co-founder, COO, um, legal background. You know, we have a whole executive team, and I get to do all the things I love doing, which is creative brand, like think through the campaigns, like how to really scale the vision of the of the company. Um, and the, all the, the creative nitty gritty, everything yeah. in the creative department is my department. Um, and so now I'm, I'm also working on my next company, which is in, um, it's called Hero Technologies. It's named after my son. And it's, um, it's, it's I'll, I'll tell you all about it, but it's in the, um, 
uh, fungal space. Interesting. And, yeah, fungal and poop space. Yeah. We like poop. So, yeah. Yeah, I like the, everything down there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense. That general yeah. area. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. And Below so, the hip. So I spend, I spend, I would say like 75% of my time still on, on Tushy. Yeah. And um, 25% of my time on, on Hero. Um, um, when did you move to Austin? I moved right during COVID, September of 2020. And from New York? From New York, after 19 years of New York. And I think that's also one of the things that contributed to the challenging moment with my relationship with my husband, right. where we went from deep community, 100 people in our community, walk out my door, I'm three minutes away from everyone, to living on, on a lake, just the two of us with our kid. Community is like 30 minutes away. So it, it's just been... It's been was it we, supposed to be like a long-term thing or was it just like in the moment... For, for now, no, we're now, we're now, we're now. We, my next company, we just signed a lease for five year lab space yeah, there, so okay. we're, we're we're there to stay. Yeah. Um, but no, it was it was a move. I was ready to go. We were both ready to to leave New York because you know New York is like I said, adrenals fatigue. Like it's just a place where you kind of burn hard mm-hmm. for a mm-hmm. long time. Mm-hmm. And um, we both we have a kid. We wanted him to go to school and not have to be screen school. Right. And um and we wanted him not to be masked at school. Yep. And so in Texas, you know, nobody has COVID basically. No. <laughs> um but teachers wear masks and the kids under five years old at the time didn't need to wear masks. Yeah. yeah. And so he got to go to have a normal junior pre K and pre K with no issue and had a normal kid, you know, like a like school experience, which was so, so important to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I mean, this has been such a fun conversation. Yeah. I, I feel like we can take this like so many different ways totally. and like keep going for hours. But do a round two. Yeah, we'll do yeah, a round we'll do two round at some two. point. Um, but such a such a pleasure, and you know, thank you for coming by and, and yes. sharing your awesome story and experiences. Yes. And excited to see what comes next for you. Yes, but in the meantime, you guys need to wash your ass with Hello Tushy. Go to hellotushy.com. Do not go to tushy.com. It is a very graphic anal porn site. Okay. So go to hello. Very important. Tushy.com. And I know very that important. there's a, a code also for the founder hour. Yes. Oh, there is. Okay. There cool. is a code. Yes. I don't know it off the top of my head. Well, we'll get, put it in the episode. But we will put it in the episode yeah, description. Get, yeah, it's 15, and the email. Yeah, I think it's 15%. 15% off, yeah. I think. Sweet. Yeah, um, I wish I remembered it, but I don't have yeah. a good memory. It'll yeah. be in the we'll put it. We'll put it in the in the. It'll in be in the, the description. It'll be on social media. You guys got to follow Mickey. Yeah, it's just at Mickey Agrawal on Instagram. There you cool. go. Yeah. Is there a new book coming out anytime soon? I do have a new book coming out, but I would first start with Ducal Shit and Disrupt Her. Yeah. Um, because those are the ones that are really about. So when you launch the next book, we'll get you back on. That's we'll it. Continue Perfect. the conversation. And the next company when Hero, when Hero launches and when the next book comes, yeah. we'll talk again. Perfect. Well, awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome.